This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Placebo there, covering the Smiths. Big mouth strikes again. It's 11 after 41 in your face on 3CR with James. Joined in the studio by Joe Ball. They are the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. Provides long-running and awesome support, much-needed support to the LGBTIQ community. Joe, the federal government's cutting your out-and-about service. Why? Yeah, look, um, that's that's the question for us as well. Um, You know, three weeks before Christmas which was four weeks before the end of the contract, um, we found out that the service was was cut by two-thirds of the original funding. Um, this is, you know, totally unacceptable. I even think, you know, there's so many things here, but one of the things is telling you three weeks before Christmas, it's a program for socially isolated, lonely, older LGBTI people who have everyone in the program has an age-related disability um, you know, they were saying that, like, basically from the time that we were told, we had four, three weeks before Christmas and four weeks before the funding was cut. And, you know, it's just a pretty despicable way to treat people. Like, if you're going to cut funding to that extreme, you've got to give people some wind-up time, mm. you know, at the very, very least. So there's an ethical conundrum there. But the big conundrum for us is that we are the only LGBTI Victorian CVS provider What's CVS? Oh, good question. It's a community visitor scheme. So what I was talking about, so what Out and About is, is it's part of the federal government's community visitor scheme, which comes out of um, the aged care department. And it's a program set up for socially isolated older people. And there's within that, there's an idea of priority populations. And LGBTI is one of those priority populations. So we're funded to support older LGBTI people. And when I say older, we do also, we support anyone who's in a nursing home or residential care. Um, That's because there are some young people who live in nursing, nursing homes. So we do actually visit younger people, like people in their 50s. Um, but yeah, it is really meant to be an, an aged care support thing and, and out and about has been around since 2000, end of 2013 and we've been providing this service for that long at the, at the they decided, the minister decided at the end of, to about the middle of last year, they wanted a review into the CBS program and they decided they'd have an open tender round. Okay. So that means that anybody who wants to, they can apply for this funding. The minister's direction on this was that they wanted to give the new guys a go, so people who hadn't previously done it. And this That's is not, crazy. It's a really crazy approach. So, you know, we, we put in our application. We, we, you know, we took it very seriously, um, but we also sort of were a little bit like, well, we're the only Victorian LGBTI CVS provider. We're probably going to get refunded, and we're probably going to get refunded at the same rate. And also, we were recently included in a report from the Department of Health. So we're like... They've listed us as like kind of best practice model in their recent report, mm. and we're the only provider. We're probably, and we've done everything they've asked of us in the application process. We're just really waiting to hear from them about when the money's going to roll over. So, who are these so-called new guys they want to give a go to? Yeah. So, what they've decided is they wanted to give it to mainstream services. So that's what they've done. Which is, once again, crazy because, of course, so many older LGBTIQ people actually need support from queer organisations because they don't get it from the mainstream. 
they can't, you know, come out and talk about their sexuality mm. perhaps, you know. Um, so they're just creating more barriers. They certainly are. And I think it's just a total misunderstanding by the minister and the department and the grants team to understand actually the service we do provide. You know, we visit our LGBTI seniors, as I said, many, most with a disability and um, many with a profound disability, once a week for one hour or two hours a fortnight. And, you know, one third of that people that we visit are older trans women. And what's really important to people is why they come to our service is part of their social isolation um, is being LGBTI, right? Like it's not just being aged. It's actually that they might be surrounded by other people in their nursing home. They might even be visited by their family, but they're socially isolated from their, from their community. Um, there's a story in our program of a man whose partner died um, and so he's gone into aged care after he died and so he'd lost that connection to community um, from that he had with his partner and the life that they had. And that's not an unusual story, but that's what we bring is we bring um, intergenerational support and we bring the queer, queer community to them. Like some of the ways the visiting looks like is, you know, we have an older uh, lesbian who's visited by a younger lesbian and in the past, they've sat in the nursing home together and watched the L word. I remember you saying that at the function we were both at. You got up and, and talked about that. And you're not going to get that probably from a mainstream service. Look, Joe, you've worked in the public service for a long time before coming to Switch. Uh, you know how ministerial offices work. Mm-hmm. Is this a political decision because the government doesn't like Switchboard? Absolutely not. In fact, probably... I think if they actually knew us, I think it's that they don't know us. Right. They don't know who we are because um, I think it's about a federal department um, looking at organisations all across the nation, uh, decisions that are made in Canberra. I actually think um, it just really comes down to a general trajectory about an idea about specialist services can just be run by mainstream providers because it's better, you know, the, the service they've given it to is providing 640, you know, visits. That's how many, uh, 640 funded positions where we were funded for 65. And from the government, they're like, why not just give you all of them? You know, and I think that's a federal trajectory is like mm. to give it to to providers because they don't really understand. They just think, oh, what? they don't really get what you offer. They don't really get that. What we do is we provide that connection with community. But they should get that if they had advisors in the minister's office that actually, you know, had any expertise in the area. It kind of indicates a lack of understanding of LGBTIQ issues generally from this minister and his department. I think so. And I, um, and, and probably just a lack of um, sort of, I guess, compassion around priority populations and maybe misconceptions post-marriage equality. You know, that's my speculation. But, you know, misconceptions of like, you know, what would you be complaining about? You know, now things are sort of sorted out. But for our older people, you know, when after marriage equality, we had an event at um, Hotel Hotel Windsor, which is one of the things we put on just the end of year to give a lovely experience after um, the postal survey and to see at the end of the year, and I saw a lot of sadness and I heard a lot of sadness in the room for these older people because these are people in their 70s, 80s and 90s that, yes, they're excited for us as younger people who can get married, but so much sadness. So many of them have lost their partners um, that, it, that, that those kind of reforms are, are, are too late for them, you know. I mean, once again, the, the minister's office just doesn't get it. I mean, 
you know, it kind of implies, doesn't it? Oh, well, you know, you're just going to get married because you've got marriage equality. But I mean, what a lack of understanding about about the issues that you just talked about for for older people, you know? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, some of the people, for example, the um, particularly our cohort um, in the um, older gay male cohort, you know, a number of the people in our service have age re- AIDS related dementia. And that's something that's not talked about much, again, with how people see that that's, they're not, they don't think about the people, I guess, who've gone on to live and the consequences of living with HIV into your, um, into your aging time. And I think that's, that's something we're aware of because we're thinking about, you know, Switchboard, we've been around 28 years. We have been providing a service through um, the AIDS epidemic and beyond. And, you know, like I think that for us, we're thinking about that. We're thinking about that all the time and it's in the forefront of our mind. And I, But I think, I guess all these things, I think that from a bureaucratic point of view, there's, there is actually stuff in the Aged Care um, Standards Act and there is, we are recognised as a priority population. So I think on paper, we actually have some leading legislation and standards in aged care that have been around, you know, for about eight years that actually say we've got to take special consideration for priority populations. And they are um, culturally and linguistically diverse populations, LGBTI and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Like it's actually in the standards. So I actually think, which I've advocated to the minister and to the shadow minister and to anyone who will listen, is that I think they've made a, a, an incorrect bureaucratic decision. Um, I don't think they're acting on the guidance. So... I sort of have a bit of hope around this. Um, it's possible to reverse it, is it? Well, there's a federal election. Absolutely, um, so they're vulnerable. Yeah, and I think people want to talk more about these things in a federal election year. And I've certainly had um, conversations with the Shadow Minister, uh, Honourable Member Julie Collins, is a, is a current aged and mental health uh, Shadow Minister, and I've had some limited... Uh, dialogue with Ken Wyatt, who's the current minister, and I'm certainly putting a lot of pressure on him because if it comes to it, I'd, I'd love to see an election promise from Labor to reverse and give us back the money. But I'd actually just like to see the current government deal with this and mm. give us the money now because it's just day by day we are now in the period of where we don't have that money. Are there any queer-friendly liberal senators for Victoria that you could possibly get to champion the cause? Um, it's something I've thought about. Um, and it's, you know, the campaign is just beginning. Um, really, it's just come... We, we sat on the campaign in the lead-up to Christmas. We didn't really come out publicly when the cut first happened. And that was because we were concerned about the people in our program. And Absolutely. just before Christmas. And once we started talking about it, we knew that they would start to hear about it. But we provided enough time to sort of reassure them and talk to them about the campaign we're going to run and um, let them know that um, we're doing our best and we'll keep them informed. But now I think is the period that we are in campaign mode which is why I'm here today, um, is because we're getting into the media, we're trying to get out, we're trying to talk about it. And, um, yeah, I think there's all avenues are going to be pursued. I have uh, done some tweeting so far at some sympathetic, what do they call themselves, the, the Liberals call themselves the Rainbow Rebels. I have done some tweeting at them and that's only going to increase between now and the federal election. What can the queer community, the LGBTIQ community, do to support your campaign? No doubt write some letters. Yeah, send like, some emails. Yeah, tweet. I think that really matters. Um, 
I think they should follow us on social media and, and, and do some of that kind of reposting, retweeting um, the articles. I think it does it absolutely does matter to bring the politicians into conversation with us. I think that if um, if Labor can see that this is a big issue for the LGBTI community, then um, we're more likely to have an election promise. So I think... Um, and, and you can do that by just promoting the news articles that are out there and copying in the shadow minister, copying in the current minister, Ken Wyatt, and just saying, you know, I want action around this. And target marginal seat holders. I mean, they've mm. got quite a few of them and there's some pretty safe seats in doubt. Um, it's almost like you need to target, you know, the people who are who are running for, for some of these seats that are, you know, economically conservative but socially liberal, you know, perhaps mm. like, you know, Goldstein or... Yeah, look, I've said... Higgins, places like that, which yeah, are a bit sure. vulnerable for them. Yeah, I mean, Higgins is a very vulnerable seat <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, I think if people... I mean, I really... We can't do this alone. Um, no. So we're trying to run this campaign to save out and about at the same time that we're running our service. So we do rely on the community to do it. The other thing is, is we actually right now have a funding gap. So we are asking people to donate. So right now... I mean, we hope to, in six months, resolve this funding gap through the federal election. How big's the gap? How much money are we talking? Um, for this year, it's 50000 Right. So it's really sizable. Um, going forward, it's a hun- you know, it's, it's $50,000 every year. But it's a drop in the ocean in terms of the federal budget. Like, you know, this is a very small amount <laughs> in terms of, you know, the big picture for the government. You know, it's not going to cause any financial hardship, but it is for your clients and for you. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's not much less than an ad in the age, you know, like a, a full page ad in the mainstream media. Well, is that's 50, the other thing we've heard about, you know, public funds being spent on government advertising, political mm. advertising, and this is about a quarter of that. Yeah, and I think that we run the, a very efficient service. Absolutely. You run off the smell of an oily rag. We do and you've been doing it for how many years, did you say? 28 years. Yeah, right. Switchboard. I mean, really, the service is, we want, you know, we are a grassroots. Um, peer-led organisations. So we, you know, we, we will always, you know, probably never attract the, you know, we don't want to become a huge service provider. We always want to be peer-led and um, grassroots. Um, but, and a lot of our services are run by volunteers and we're really proud of that. I mean, sorry, when I say a lot of, all of our services are run by volunteers and I think that's really important in the... In Absolutely. The, but that means that it doesn't cost a huge amount. Well, you're saving the government money because, A, you know, it's, it's volunteer labour that would normally be done by staff, but also the health and social benefits mm. from your program providing that support actually save the government money elsewhere in the system, in the healthcare system. Uh, it's very good value for money you're providing. Yeah, and I think one of the things I was saying to, um, to the, the different bureaucrats and things is that, we have 350 volunteers wanting to volunteer on the list for Out and About because our community is actually very good at volunteering. Mm. And we speak to other CVS providers and they beg for volunteers. We actually have a situation where we put people on these huge waiting lists to be volunteers, which I think is, is, is the heart of who we are. And I think the lovely, the beautiful volunteers who do Out and About, uh, and they range in huge ages. Like, um, So it's not necessarily young people visiting older people. Sometimes it's people in their 50s, 60s visiting people in their 70s, 80s, all different ages. Um, And we match people based on their common interests. 
but it's just such a what people give so much heart but i also think it's the heart of our community that we Mm. want to be intergenerational like we're interested in older people because they're our elders and it's a way to us to thank them i mean these are the people that we know through their the lives that they live have made our lives better and it's just that opportunity once a week once a fortnight to drop in and say hey to them you know and just make sure they're supported Mm. um and for you know an extra fifty thousand dollars a year so the program's properly funded and volunteers get things like uh fuel reimbursements and things that make it easier for people to be involved it's just it's just nothing for the huge gains it brings to the community and just shows how out of touch and dysfunctional this government has has become if it can't actually see that and provide the necessary infrastructure to make it happen yeah it's very short-sighted well i think it's part of that concept as well about um why do we have queer specific services you know like we still have to make that argument to them and um and i think i think they don't really that I just don't understand the benefit of, of, of why there is a queer community and why people want to be a part of that queer community. Mm. Like our volunteers do things like just in the last month, they took some of our older people to our events and our older people really enjoyed that. We just had an event on Tuesday night, a public event, and two of our older people were there. And that was only possible because their volunteers joined them there, drove them there, met them there, helped them with the taxi or whatever it was. And that's that's the community we want to build at switchboard is that huge age range and from 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 young kids to older people this is what a community looks like so if people want to make direct contact with switchboard to get involved and support you uh what's the best way they can do that if you want to be involved in the campaign um i think it's best to you know try try and connect with us via social media so we're on instagram um all the major ways, Facebook and Twitter. I think if you want to see the really uh, pointy edge of the political stuff you've got, you should follow my own personal Twitter campaign because that's Twitter page because that's where I make the more pointy stuff because obviously the switchboard stuff is is about a whole range of um, services that we provide and I don't want that to get subsumed. So I do the um, campaigning part from my own. So you can follow mine on J-O-E underscore C underscore ball. And just, you know, be a part of it. Help help the hashtags take off. Good stuff. Joe Ball, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR today. We'll be watching this one closely. We'll have to have you back to talk some more as the campaign gains momentum. Mm. And hopefully you get a good outcome from Kim Wyatt and the Morrison government. Yeah, and I, I'm so appreciative of that. And if you want to donate to Switchboard and help us out, please do that as well. Give now. It's switched, switched on for Switchboard. 4.30, you're on In Your Face on 3CR and here's Public Enemy. Yet our best train... Best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Public Enemy, fight the power. It is 25 to 5. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. I am really, really excited. I'm joined in the studio by Natalie Kozak and Maddie Roberts. They star in a new midsummer play called Press Play, uh, which is about two women in a lonely hotel room on a lonely road. Uh, there's feelings of, you know, the apocalypse. Uh, and they have a pretty intense emotional roller coaster together by the sounds of it. Welcome to you both. Thank Thank you you. for having us. So, Nellie, let's start with you. Last time we spoke, you had just begun a one-woman show for Fringe called Julia, a Lesbian, which was a comedy, and now you're doing 
and emotional drama. That's quite a contrast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a great uh, learning experience to go from that to this. It's been just a great actoral yeah, experience. Like I've been learning a lot in the past couple of months, so it's been really, really cool. So Maddie, tell us about the story of your character and how she connects with, uh, with, with, with Natalie's character. What are they doing in that hotel room? Basically, uh, they are in that hotel room to not relive, but try and reconnect. They're these two opposing forces that, like magnets, every time they come together, something just brings them back apart and it's just chaos. But it's the calm in the chaos mm-hmm. that is so great to find in that play. So how do you get that connection as actors uh, to make that roller coaster and that calm and that chaos and that contrast happen? Like it sounds like it must take you into quite a zone. Yeah, it definitely does, Um, 100%. Um, Especially only working with one other person. It really depends on our relationship, not only as the characters, but as the actors as well. Because that's all that we have to rely on. We have each other to rely on. Yeah, absolutely. So Natalie, tell us about your character. What what are they like? Uh, Okay, so my character is called Danny. Or Danny, I guess here. Um, And Danny is just this wild, passionate kind of mess. Uh, I don't think she really knows what she wants in life. And she lives life day by day. But Kat, who's Danny's partner, has you know, taught her so much about finding herself and finding goals. And like Maddie said, just finding that calm in the storm that is Danny and her life. Um, So she's, you know, this funny, very spirited uh, person who's just so much fun to play. Like I get to do a lot of crazy dancing (laughs) and I'm constantly trying to make Maddie laugh. Uh, So that's been really exciting in rehearsal to play with that. Such a like free spirited impulsive sporadic character um yeah it's just been really really exciting so it sounds like she's trying to to reach out to maddie's character she's perhaps um the extrovert of the two yours sounds like it's a more introverted character yeah 100 percent um that's why yeah they are two complete opposite ends of anything Mm -hmm. like cat is definitely much more controlled and much not calm but keeps everything inside a lot and Danny is that person who brings out the funness and the joy in Kat's life yeah and they're lovers they're girlfriends yeah yes well uh... at, this, at this moment they're having a fight <laughs> pretty big fight pretty big pretty huge fight that's what's really exciting about the play and it's kind of what you were talking about there's these constant shifts where yeah you're having these really beautiful moments as lovers and as partners but It's also, you know, the whole idea of baggage and history and everything that comes with being a couple um, that sometimes isn't easy and it reaches this point. So they're on the verge of a breakup. They've broken up. Technically broken up. Yeah. Maddie dump, cat dump. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to regain her back and have this one night together where we can be together again. So that's the end of the world type scenario? Or is there something else at work, a bigger picture at work that kind of, you know, symbolises the ending or the kind of, you know, volatility or precariousness of your relationship? It's definitely the relationship, I think, symbolises the end of the world. It's not just the end of their relationship and their connection, but to a lot of people, the end of a relationship is the end of the world. Mm -hmm. There's nothing after that relationship. And 
that's what makes it such an intense situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think that's what's really beautiful about the play that there's v- this really relatable feeling when you're so in love with someone and they've been part of your life and part of who you are 100% and so when suddenly there's that moment where you might lose them it's almost like you might lose yourself and your world mm. and it really is that feeling of like there is nothing after you or what am I after you what is my world after you I don't know and that's so terrifying so I feel I feel like anybody who's been in a really intense relationship has felt that feeling it's so real and it's so strong and it's so scary um so it's really really beautiful to play with that in the play the scene that's set in sounds very lonely, which kind of, I guess, symbolises that lonely precipice that the characters could well fall into. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about the scene. How did they end up in this motel room? Um, Can I, you tell us? Yeah, I yeah. think I think um, we always talk about how Danny and Kat are at their best when they're like removed from everything else uh, in the world, when it's just the two of them in the middle of nowhere. And I think that motel represents that, like this world that they can have on their own, just the two of them. There's nothing disturbing them. And it's just them that one night, just them. And uh, I guess the motel really represents that. And I guess that's why the scenery is what it is, just because we were trying to find a space where it could be just us. Yeah, definitely. This like common neutral ground which none of them have any connection to whatsoever it's kind of sterile so they can just be in their own world Mm -hmm. without any outside distractions how draining and exhausting is it being (laughs) constantly on stage like there's no one else it's it's just it's just you two is 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 it like how do you feel how do you do it (laughs) great question (laughs) No, it's definitely, um, it is exhausting in some points, but it is so rewarding when you work through those really exhausting points and then you get to the joyous moments. And that's when all the energy comes back in and you can keep going, keep going and going until you can't anymore. Yeah, and also in rehearsal, well, we've also had our incredible directors, Alana Avalon and Lucas Oskamp. I was going to ask you about them, two directors. Is that unusual? Um, Not Really, not in any of the ones that I've personally performed in, just because it is because it's a new work, especially it's good to have different minds bouncing off each other Mm -hmm. Mm. um, because it is such a collaborative work. Yeah, it is a super collaborative space. And so it's great to have them both in the room and not only have a third eye, but a fourth eye Mm. and maybe a fifth eye. (laughs) Um, And and so, yeah, it's really incredible to have these two wonderful people guide us through these exercises and guide us through this really intense roller coaster as you were saying um i think it's us but it's also them powering us through um so it's really great like it is really exhausting at some points but it's really really rewarding so how do the two directors work with you as actors do you find that one will work with one and the other the other and then kind of swap around a bit or or it depends it depends on the scene it depends on the emotion um, how do you connect with the directors to to actually, you know, work like how you just described? Uh, well, they do take turns usually, but it's not like just focused on one or just focused on the other. Every The collaborative approach is definitely like everyone crossing over to help each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, Alana and Lucas are both really kind of hands-on and they're so passionate about this project that 
we want to be passionate as well. We want to have that across in our work. Yeah. And yeah. And it's also, um, it's really nice to have them both because sometimes they switch over like, like uh, sometimes one of them will have the more observant role, which is just more uh, quiet and just looking mm. and looking and looking and looking at how the design is affecting the play, what moments work, what isn't working versus another person might be, you know, really involved and like guiding us through the emotional moment completely. So they can't have like the full outside perspective as the audience would. So they switch between those two uh, roles pretty frequently. Um, and it's really productive that way because you have someone who's like, yeah, guiding you, guiding you. And then the other person who's like really watching very detailedly and at the end can be like, these are all my notes. This is what worked. This is what didn't. We should rework this. We should talk about this. And so it's a super productive way of working, I think. Of course, uh, Natalie, you've worked with uh, with Alana Avalon before. She was a director of of Julia, a lesbian, mm-hmm. uh, and it sounds like you know for quite some time they've they've had you kind of you know yes, you're Danny, yeah. Mm-hmm. But your character sounds like it took a, a while to actually find the right actor. So tell us about the process. How they found you? Yeah, well. I heard of Alana works, what has worked with one of my really close friends before. And so I heard about Press Play and Tooth and Fang through him. Um, and then when the audition came up, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go there. Uh, so I auditioned. They told me I was the very last audition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got the part. And that was like so amazing because it's been an absolute blessing to be able to work with the three of them, uh, especially because most of my experience comes from uh, university or like uh, children's theatre and this is so far detached from children's theatre and it's just so yeah it's really great to get to work in this way and really find who I am independently as an actor but also find myself within the play. So what have you discovered? I have discovered um um The main thing I probably have discovered is that I am quite comfortable in myself. That's Um, good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's great when that happens. Um, But no, I'm comfortable enough in myself to be able to explore these themes and experiment with different approaches and everything like that rather than just having this one way of doing things. I'm starting to yeah be more creative and find different options and different ways of tackling things that I find difficult. Natalie this role's got an extra challenge for you if you like because until the 8th of January you're in Chile after yeah. after you know being being there for a few months um that's an added kind of challenge because the cultures are so emotionally different so what's it like being back in Melbourne playing uh, a character with with an Australian woman. Uh, what's it like? Oh gosh, it's been quite the whirlwind. I mean, a different emotional resonance to what you were used to in Santiago. Probably. Yeah, no, of course. But what's really great about also the way we work is that we never try to like shy each other away from our impulses. And so, you know, a lot of things that come out in the play with Danny and like her passionateness and whatnot. Like if it comes out in a more South American way, which is my way. Um, that's totally allowed in the space. And I think that's so beautiful because Maddie is like super Australian and I'm very South American. And so it's never been like calm those things down. It's more like bring them more about, like just express it as you can. So that's been really cool. It just has been, you know, a lot because it's like moving here, trying to find a job, working on the play, meeting new people. Mm. Uh, 
so it's been like it's been great uh, i'm just trying to like find my feet back in melbourne like i have to realize that i am living here now it's not like i'm here for a visit i'm here for a full year so so yeah i'm just trying to find my bearings <laughs> and do you keep your accent as part of this character or do you change it no i keep my accent um yeah i i i like that danny has that uh characteristic to her she's so edgy and fun and you know i i like that i don't have to work around my accent i think it's great that i can keep that and really express that i it's hard i think for an actor when they're like no you have to be this and you have to shy away from the way that you speak and communicate so it's been really great to be able to not worry about that and just you know talk as i talk how long are you on stage for in this production in press play oh the full hour um wow. so yeah we don't leave at all like there might be times where we're not actually fully connected with the space but we are still somewhat a part of the space um because it is so much about these two mm-hmm. like just these two i don't think anyone really wanted them to be individual at any point like they still had to have a connection and that kind of was found by them continually being on stage I know you can't tell me, but um, <laughs> I'm going to ask anyway. How does it all end up between the two characters? Do they get back together? Oh, that's actually really uh, yeah. very, in- like, I guess that's also something we haven't discussed. The ending is just a really beautiful scene. I won't get into it, um, but it's very open to interpretation. It's been open to interpretation for us. It's been open to interpretation for Alan and Lucas. I, I don't think there's one answer to that question, so... That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty great. It's great for us too, actually. So there's surprises in it for you as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's running from the 6th of Feb to the 9th? Yes. How can people go and see it? Give us those details. So we are on at the MC Showroom, which is over in Pran. Uh, so you can either purchase tickets via them or via the Midsummer website. So go to Programs, What's On, Press Play. Uh, we're on there. Ticket links are on there. I think our the 6th and the 7th, we are on at 7.30pm. And the 8th and the 9th, we are on at 6.45pm. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, people, rock along and see it. Press play. Natalie Kozak and Maddie Roberts, the two stars of the production. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me today on 3CR. Us. And Natalie, great to have you back in the country. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Uh, we must have you both back to talk about your future work uh, <laughs> in acting because I think you've both got a really huge future. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. me today. Much. It's 10 to 5. You are in your face on 3CR. And here are the Dixie Chicks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.